welcome to That's All, a weekly debrief about anything and everything happening in fashion and pop culture with Cozzy and Em. I'm Em. And I'm Cozzy. And happy Super Bowl day to those who celebrate, which is not happy us. Happy Super Bowl. It was me for a majority of today-ish. I was at work doing work things, but I did have the little like live updates thing in the background from the Sydney Morning Herald. But I didn't. I haven't watched a frame of the game. No, I forgot it was on, but where I work shares a wall with a brewery. And they don't usually oh, really? open on Mondays. So I was like, why is it like going off at 10 in the morning? And there was a big, important game on, apparently. Big, important game. Taylor Swift's boyfriend. Taylor Swift's team against some other team. Literally, when my mom called me, she was like, did you watch the Super Bowl? And I was like, yeah, they won Taylor Swift's team because I couldn't remember the name of the team. It was very exciting. Like, for someone who didn't watch a frame of it, it was pretty a tight game, though. They won in the last three seconds of um, extra time, which is like super. That seems like the climax to a movie or something like that's exciting. Yeah, it's very um, High School Musical. Totally. Very Cinder- a Cinderella story when they kiss in the rain at the end. But it was very, very exciting. Taylor was there with her little girl squad. She was there with her parents and Blake Lively and Ice Spice and Lana Del Rey was there. Actually, so many famous people were there. Kim Kardashian was there. Kendall was there. Justin Bieber and Hayley were there. Um, I'm sure lots of other people, those are the only ones that I really care about, but it was really exciting. And apparently Travis Kelsey spent a million bucks on a suite for his family and friends at the game. But the tickets for this game are insane. People pay like 10 grand to be there for like a single ticket. Jesus. What would it take for you to spend $10,000 on a ticket? Like, where would you go? I love that you've asked me this question because I've already spent over $1,000 on Taylor Swift. So I don't know if I'd pay to see like a band for 10 grand. Or like, I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't pay for a sporting ticket. It'd have to be like the Beatles, like the original all four Beatles. If all four Beatles came back, like if, if George and John came back to life and it was the, I would pay 10 grand. Yeah. One night only. It has to be that energy. Yeah. That makes sense. Like, I don't think it would be anyone currently. If I'm not paying 10 grand for like first class flights or what, like whatever, I'm not paying for wait one night to see a band. Definitely not sports. Definitely not. Yeah. I understand that it's cool to be there and like you can't recreate the atmosphere or whatever. Imagine if you pay 10 grand and then your team loses. It'd be amazing if you were there today and you were a Chiefs fan and they won in the last three seconds. Like that, um, like 10 grand well spent in that case. I get that. But I'm also just like, what if you're a 49ers fan and they lose and you've just spent 10 grand? That hurts. At least with a concert, you're getting something out of it no matter what. There's no losers. No. I think I'd pay 10 grand to go back in time to a gig, a certain like a certain gig. I'd spend $10,000 to get like answers to questions like gossip. Oh, I was going to say like from an oracle. Oh, uh, no, not really personal. Like, you know, like those things that like are your Roman Empire, like questions you have. I'd be like, I'd pay 10 grand to know who Jack the Ripper was. Or yeah. like I would pay 10 grand to like know if aliens are real. I would pay or 10 like grand a mystery. to like sit on the Don't Worry Darling set just for a day. Yeah, exactly. I'd pay 10 grand to know exactly what happened on the Don't Worry Darling set. I'd pay 10 grand to know Taylor Swift's real romantic history. Yeah. Like that. that's the sort of stuff I'd pay for. We're not paying for the boring stuff. Sorry. Take your football out of here. No, so I wouldn't. I'm sorry. I wouldn't pay for football. Anyways. Yeah. Anyway. Sorry. How was your week? It was good. Oh my God. Yeah. Sorry. We went straight into the Super Bowl. Yeah. It was really good. Just had like a chill weekend, catching up with friends. I had bolognese on pizza for the first time. Bolognese Bolognese on pizza. pizza. That's my recommendation for this week, actually. I was struggling to decide what to recommend. No, I like I this. had bolognese pizza for the first time and I... It was a very kind of chaotic Saturday evening. I went out with my friend Chiara and also her boyfriend, who was my friend. 
my friends, Sam and Kiara, we went out for drinks. We went to a couple of different places and then we ended up at Bar Reggio on um, Stanley Street, which is like this really cute little Italian place. Very chaotic though, because it started to bucket down with rain when we like just got there. But we ordered very well. I hadn't been to Bar Reggio for like yonks, if ever, if my memory serves. And but Sam and Kiara were all over it. They're like, we'll get one pasta. We'll get three pizzas. We're going to get this thing of olives. We're going to do this and that. I was like, oh, I love perfect. when people do that. Perfect. Because usually I'm the one doing that. So I was like, I love to be held. Amazing. Do this for me. And we had the bolognese pizza. They said it and I was like, interesting. I'm, I'm here for the concept, intrigued by the execution. And it was fantastic. Can I just say? In my head, that sounds soggy. That's what I thought. It was not soggy. Wow. That's impressive. It was like just like having a meat pizza it was you know what it was like you know when you get like sausage pizzas it was like that Uh, okay so they didn't just like slap on some sloppy they didn't slap it it was I thought think it was thoughtfully done okay and I was so full and felt ill afterwards but it was amazing and they had this like little goblet of um olives in like warm oil with garlic and I oh Oh, my god it was delicious everyone get they down to Barreggio uh it's a it's a Sydney institution um but the bolognese pizza man holy shit and if you're not in Sydney, we, we can't help you. I'm so sorry. No, and if you're not in Sydney, sorry. But um, I'm sure in Melbourne, they'll probably have something. Maybe not, actually. I feel like they'd be too snobby in Melbourne. But I know at least Kara listens to this podcast. So thank you, Queen. What is your recommendation for this week, Emily? I have to recommend One Day, <laughs> which has just been released on Netflix. It's an adaptation of the 2009 book, by David Nichols, which was also turned into a movie in 2011 with Anne Hathaway. The movie was not it, but I loved the guy who played Dexter, Jim Sturgis. Sturgis? I had such a crush on him. I just couldn't sit through Anne Hathaway's accent. No. I love Anne Hathaway. I am a loyalist until I die. The accent was just a bit, it was almost a bit like Felix in Saltburn. But I thought Felix's accent was quite good in Saltburn. I thought it was good because it was like contextual. Oh, He's okay. supposed to sound like he's super hoity-toity, whereas Anne Hathaway was like, oh. Well, she was supposed to sound like she was from Yorkshire. And I'm like, I don't really think that that's going to work. I've not seen the whole film, I don't think. I think I watched parts of it. Definitely prefer the TV show. Have you finished it? Yes. It's actually really good. It's 14 episodes, I think. And 14. most of them most of them are like 20, 25 minutes. Oh, I like that. So... That's you fine. don't feel like you're sitting down to like 10 years of TV just watching one episode. It stars Ambika Mod and Leo Woodall as the protagonists, Emma and Dexter. And it follows them on the same day each year over a 20-year time span. So some episodes like skip years or like have a few years in one. But basically they're like in and out of each other's lives and like growing and aging and living separate lives, but still being extremely fond of the other person they're like twin flames twin flames star-crossed lovers i think it's very it's the same vein as like normal people la la land when harry met sally don't talk to me about la la land (laughs) (laughs) i'm still still not over it it's also like past lives more recently and love rosie that sort of thing where it's like um these people just have this like undeniable chemistry and like platonic but not so platonic love rosie will send me into an early grave Oh, definitely. All of those movies I just listed or TV shows are in my top 10. So I knew I was going to like this. It's also, it's one of my favorite romantic tropes in that it's like the complex thinking woman and the kind of evolving unthinking man. Yeah, he's kind of like a bit of a Labrador. But Leo Woodall did an amazing job. Thought their chemistry was incredible. I'm 
so excited to watch it. I haven't watched it yet. You need to watch it. I know I've got it. And I'm also bad because the company that I work for, we like publish David Nichols. So I extra need to watch it. So you actually need to watch it. It's for work. It's for work. It's work purposes. It was sad, but I was like pretty good. I held it together because I binged half of it on, I went to Brisbane on the weekend and I binged half of it on Friday night going up and then half of it on Sunday night coming back. It was a really good plane watch, but at the same time I was like, you have to hold it together. And then there's a scene towards the end where the main guy, Dexter, is like, walking through his house and Lilac Wine by Jeff Buckley starts playing. I've heard about this. I've seen this like memed that everyone's like has to pause when this that song comes on. Sitting just in my little aisle, aisle seat and that came on. I was like, no, nah, we're done now. Oh, well, you love Jeff Buckley. You're such a Jeff Buckley ho. Code for sad girl. But yeah. yeah. I think it's a very specific type of niche sad girl. It's like when people are like, I love Elliot Smith. It's like, okay. All right. Are we good? <laughs> yeah. Are you okay? Are you okay? Should we talk about that more? I would recommend the TV show over the movie. I think. Yeah. Okay. I'm kidding. I've got to watch it. I love Ambika Mod. She was in um, This Is Going to Hurt, the show with Ben Whishaw, who where he plays the doctor. She's so funny. Based on the book by Adam Kay. I love her. I'm obsessed with her. She gives me like um, Io Adebari vibes. Yes. You can tell she's so smart. And that's how she's funny. She's just so witty and so switched on. And very dry. And very dry. But, and then like borderline chaotic where it's like you are a talented queen. We love I you. love a chaos queen. Um, okay, I've got to watch it. Everyone watch it. Don't blame me if you cry. And also everyone go and read David Nichols because his books are amazing. He wrote obviously one day, but he also wrote my favorite book, uh, Starter for Ten, which is more of a comedy, which I can't read in public because I just laugh too much. And he also is a great screenwriter. He wrote Far From the Madding Crowd with Carrie Mulligan, one of the best movies ever. And he wrote the Patrick Melrose miniseries with, what's his face? Benedict Cumberbatch. An accomplished king. He's an icon. I remember when I was at nine, I wanted to, we, they were like, we don't know who David Nichols is. And I was like, we have to interview him. And we did. And it was great. So yeah, that's, that's good. Okay. I'm going to watch that tonight and cry. Do it. And then give us your thoughts. I will. I will totally. But on to um onto the Super Bowl. So huge day for sports girls and guys and everyone. What are they called? The Chiefs. They won. Yay, Taylor Swift's team. Uh, they beat the San Francisco 49ers 25 to 22. I've not watched a frame of the game, but I believe led to believe that it was a, a bit of a tight one. They won the like winning point. Well, they scored the winning point in the last three seconds of extra time, which seems insane um so yay for them huzzah and uh taylor came to super bowl with her parents blake lively ice spice uh as you do i would never travel to a sports game without ice spice myself and usher was the uh what's it called halftime performer and i loved it give us the details i haven't watched it okay so i didn't i watched it just before when i was writing my notes for this episode so he comes out and he, I can't remember what song he start, started on, but he does like, um, Love in This Club, yeah, oh my God. Him doing Love in This Club was amazing. It was like they had this big band in on the, on the field and there were the trumpets and everything. It was so good. And he sang, oh my God. But he was wearing rollerblades while he was doing it. He was wearing rollerblades. So he was rollerblading around the stage to, oh my God. That actually sounds like you've made it up. No, it's true. It's legit. I was obviously like, oh my God. The Daily Mail headline about it is 
Super Bowl 2024 halftime show, Usher almost falls over in roller skates while zooming around stage. Oh, yeah, zooming, zooming. But it was really good. Alicia Keys was there and she performed with him as well. It was super random. The guy, I don't know his name, the one who sings Turn Down For What, he was there and they did Turn Down For What and it was amazing. This is so, like, 2013. It was very 2013 and I loved that. Amazing, like, blue and black outfit was by Off-White and that was fantastic. He wore this kind of other outfit when he came out that was Dolce & Gabbana and so did Alicia Keys. She was wearing this amazing red kind of bodysuit and they were dance singing together quite slinkily and sexily that was really good and taylor like obviously all eyes were on taylor she wore this disgusting outfit um these disgusting pants and this horrible like dion lee corset thing but her hair and makeup was amazing uh she shotgunned a beer which i thought was very like sophie turner at the ice hockey and there was this amazing moment where (laughs) oh it's so cringe we have to post on instagram uh this bit so they won obviously like the Chiefs won and Travis Kelsey gets up to and the for context the Super Bowl is happening in Las Vegas and he gets up and he's got his trophy thing and he goes to the microphone and he just goes viva Las Vegas viva viva Las Vegas and then it cuts to Taylor Swift and she's like the ick in real time it's like the ick in literally and I yeah, the Taylor Swift group chat at my work was going off that Taylor has the ick from him. I was like, really from that? Has she seen photos of him from 2009? Like that gave me the ick, <laughs> that gave me the ick in a second. If she can survive them, she can survive Viva Las Vegas. But yeah, it was just like this big thing. It was so like Americana, but it feels so like Heartland. It's like a something out of a rom-com book that I would read and believe, but because it's happening in real time, I can't quite like comprehend it. They kissed on the field. I don't know if I like his hair. It's quite short. Oh, did he get it done for his big game? He got like a fade. Not into fades. I know. Um, I'm not really into that. I prefer more of a Hugh Grant 1994 floppy hair. A bit scruffy. That doesn't really go in um football, I guess. Do you think any of this, like the shotgunning of the beer, the kind of shitty outfit, is any of this making Taylor Swift more relatable? Well, this accessible? is the thing. A lot of people at my work think that her outfits are shit because it makes her more relatable. I, I'm like, it just, it's so bad though. Someone said today that it was like um, elevated Kmart. The thing that I come back to about Taylor Swift is that she's consistent. These outfits have been consistently bad for a long time. I think she's been bad since post-1989. She's also like in her 30s. Like by that point, you've kind of found your style. You've found what's comfy. She's just, she knows what works for her. So she's just realized that she has shit style. But at the same time, you can be like immensely powerful and privileged and wealthy and talented and exciting and whatever and still be like a little bit of a loser. Oh, totally. You can be totally, what's that word you love to say? Chuggy. Yeah. You can you can still be a little bit chuggy. And I think that might be, oh, I sound like such a snob. It's like her mum is a bit chuggy. Like I saw her walking and she had a big Valentino bag. And I'm just in my mind, I'm like, oh, logos. Like it's very, you know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah. that's the woman that she's learned from. It's not like... She's not, you know, had the same upbringing as like other celebrities, children that we see who are so primped and preened and proper. And she's not a Malia Obama type. No, she's also not a Sophia Richie Grange type. No, and like not you. Do, you don't have to be to make it. No, but I'd like it if she was because I hate I know. everything she wears. Put but her also, in one good outfit. But also, wouldn't you think that? As one of her best friends, Blake Lively, who doesn't have a stylist, who sometimes will wear shit stuff, but majority of the time wears amazing things. Don't you think that she'd pull her over and be like, babe, 
let's talk about these pants. Hey doll, maybe not these. But also, but in, in thinking that, it's like everything that she does is for a reason. So it is maybe it is that relatability. She knows what she's wearing is like mid. Yeah. But she does it anyway. It just upset me that her hair and makeup was so good and her outfit was so balls. She really can only have one. It is. She literally is one or the other. It's so true, actually, because she fucking overdid it at the Grammys. Anyway, I can't do it. And she has these weird plaits in her hair. At least the plait looked good today. That, again, very 2013. Like, the obsession with braids and plaits. And it's like, I used to sit and watch hours of YouTube tutorials to do, like, fancy braids in my hair. And I still really? can't braid. Yeah, that was when I was, like, 12. Yeah. Maybe she's doing that on the tour bus. Or on the private jet. Well, she was the coolest girl at the Super Bowl, but she's not the one who made the most lasting impression because Beyonce kind of swooped in and took the cake. So obviously, I mean, I'm saying obviously, I'm like, not everyone knows. At the Super Bowl, the ads are like the big thing. It's millions and millions of dollars to get an ad spot in the Super Bowl because everyone in America is watching. And in the second half of the game... Um, Beyonce, and they get a lot of celebrities in these ads. So Beyonce appeared in a um, Verizon, Verizon, I think. It's like whatever the equivalent of like Optus or Telstra is over there. She was in a commercial and the commercial was like her trying to break the internet. And um, it was like all of these, she was trying to do all these different things to break the internet. So she opened a lemonade stand or she played the saxophone or she performed in space. And then at the end of the ad, she's like when she can't break the internet, uh, it's like a little voiceover of her being like, okay, they're ready. Drop the new music. I told you the Renaissance wasn't over. And then it like, once the ad's over, it goes into like a video on promotional images for her um, like new album, which she's going to drop. So she's, um, the new album is called Act Two, which is coming out on the, um, the 29th of March. And two songs have already been released i've listened to one of them that it's a country album it's country what i know i'm obsessed lana is also doing country yeah well this is the thing so it's like they're both doing it but i love i'm such a huge Beyonce fan but i listened to she's got two songs called texas hold'em and 16 carriages and i've listened to texas hold'em loved it but when she dropped when beyonce dropped renaissance in 2022 she said that the album would be the first of a three-act project so everyone's and now the album's called Act 2, so makes sense. Okay, and then we'll get Act 3 later. Yeah, and she was at the Super Bowl, and Blue Ivy was there, and so was Rumi, uh, her other daughter, and Jay-Z was there. Cute. What a little family affair, just dropping an album and, like, stealing the thunder away from everyone else. I love it. And I loved it because I was like, the last time Blue Ivy was at that stadium, she was performing. Um, what are your thoughts on this? And do you think that she was stealing the thunder? Of Taylor Swift and other people. Not intentionally. I think it's just like, it's a good stage to launch something on. I think it's better than Taylor's announcement at the Grammys. I was going to, that was going to be my next question. Okay. Because you're launching to fans. You're not launching to your industry. Because did you have a, like a real issue with Taylor doing that at the Grammys? Like, do you find that like really problematic? I think putting myself in anyone else's shoes there, I think I would have been a bit like, oh, now maybe isn't the time. Announce this directly to your fans and not after you've just won an award that because Taylor and her team would know that there would be people who immediately go you don't deserve this over these people so for her to say and I'm going one step further and dropping an album yeah I don't I don't think it's necessarily malicious or like a rude thing to do I just think it's etiquette yeah maybe don't yeah fair enough it's not like yeah what about you I get it 
But my qu- my question with that is, would she still have announced had she lost? Like, yeah. that's the biggest question that I come away with. I'm like, is this all dependent on you losing or winning? Had she lost, would it have been a... Okay, we're going to swing back around to the Taylor machine now. Like, okay, we've lost media about it. Like, maybe isn't that good. Here's a good thing we can do. Well... I think that's a good point. And I reckon if she had lost, it would have just, they would have done the reputation drop and then another album potentially. Interesting. But I don't know. Maybe she would have dropped it after the Super Bowl. But again, if he'd lost, we don't know. We don't know. But anyway. Yeah, but as well as um, the Beyonce stuff dropping, trailers, they were movie trailers. Uh, Super Bowl is notorious for movie trailers. And I'll go really quickly on one of these, but I'm very excited for Twisters, the sequel to the iconic, iconic 1996 disaster movie starring the late, great Bill Paxton and the beautiful Helen Hunt and the other late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. And if you don't know it, just like, uh, you need to watch it. It's basically just about a ragtag bunch of scientists chasing storms in America. Um, But there's a sequel apparently to the movie with Glenn Powell. So we all have to go see it. And Daisy Edgar Jones. And it's coming out in July, which is insane because there's been no promo for it. Yeah, that's really soon. Yeah, it's directed by the guy who directed Minari, which is insane to me. I'm like, Minari, if you haven't seen it, is like a film about a Korean family who was settling in like an agricultural setting in America, like assimilating to American culture. It's beautiful, but it's It's not. an amazing movie. It's a beautiful movie. Uh, it's not Twisters, though. Um, no, it's not Glenn Powell. No, and Glenn Powell plays this kind of like hick storm chaser. Amazing. I'm very keen for it, but apparently there's, um, it's definitely not a reboot of the 1996 film. It's a completely original story. There are no characters from the original film, so it's not really a continuation. So then I'm like, why the fuck are you calling it Twisters? Yeah. Just give it a new thing if no one's coming back for it. Like, if Helen Hunt's not in it, don't call it Twisters. But I didn't realize that the original Twister made nearly $500 million at the box office. It was, like, <gasps> huge. I think it was the one of the films, like, obviously Jaws started the summer blockbuster, but I think it really defined the summer blockbuster for the 90s. It's also got Carrie Yules in it from um, The Princess Bride. Anyway... But the other trailer that came out, which is so exciting, is the trailer for Wicked. I've never seen Wicked, the musical. Oh, but you're super excited. But I'm super excited. I love Wicked. It's the only musical that I've seen twice in theatre. I love it. It's so good. I've been super on the fence about this movie version, though. Okay, well, then I'm really intrigued. What were your thoughts on the trailer? I think the trailer, it's very spectacular. It's very, like, futuristic. It reminded me of Robots the movie oh my god the train really looked like something out of robots robots is this like amazing animated film from like 2005 with um ewan mcgregor jennifer coolidge amazing jennifer coolidge isn't it too yes so true it that is as highbrow as it gets i feel robots the movie watch it animated films are so highbrow oh my god it also has stanley tucci in it and natasha leone yeah it's got everyone that is insane okay we have it's got everyone anyway live stream rewatch of the robots movie um so you thought it was futuristic vibes yeah, and I think because it's so kind of fanciful, it is different enough from the theatre version that I can separate them in my head. Yeah, because I, get I that. think the theatre version is just so it's perfectly made for theatre and seeing how the set moves and stuff is part of the experience. So I think I when I'm gonna watch this, I'm not going in there going, but how does it stack up to the theatre version? Because it's like it's not apples and oranges and apples and pears. But 
There were a few things that I didn't quite enjoy. Oh, okay, what? One is that I love the original Broadway cast, which is Idina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth. Oh, I love Kristen the Chenoweth. The main two. They're incredible. And I, I was kind of like, why Why can't we have them back? Why can't we, again, theatre version, movie version, Ariana Grande looks good as Glinda. And Cynthia Erivo looks good costumes look true to the story well you're really diving into this i love it i am diving into it because i'm trying to convince myself that i'm really gonna like it but i actually at this stage if i don't watch it i don't feel like i'm losing anything okay that's fair enough but if you watch it i'll watch it okay i'm gonna watch it i've never seen wicked um but it's basically if you don't know uh, i read the book though I've read the book, but I haven't seen the musical. So it's basically, it's the origin story of the Wicked Witch of the West, Alphaba, when she meets Galinda, who's later Glinda the Good. And it's like their friendship and their struggles um, because they have like opposing personalities. And it's like their life in Oz. And it's um like there's corrupt government and like Alphaba's fall from grace and her love interest. And it's kind of like the origin story of all of the Wizard of Oz characters as well. Like the Tin mm. Man. It, it's kind of, yeah, prequel to Wizard of Oz. But so much better. Yeah, the trailer came out today and like Jeff Goldblum is the wizard. Michelle Yeoh is in it. Jonathan Bailey plays Elphaba's love interest, um, Fierro. I've been saying Fierio for about 15 years. <laughs> so it's great to learn the real name today. Bowen Yang from Saturday Night Live is going to be in it. And of course, Ethan Slater is going to be in it. Uh, who plays Bok. Who, he's, of course, the guy who's going out with Ariana Grande. Uh, anyway... And Vanity Fair posted a bunch of exclusive photos, like the first photos of the Mauling character. I'm, ex- I'm excited. I love musicals. I You heard me singing Hairspray on Saturday night. So I'm very here for it. Um, and I love Defying Gravity. I love Defying Gravity. That was another thing that I went, ooh. I didn't love the last note. Did you not like the last note? No. It didn't and that, those last few notes of Defying Gravity are so iconic. And Cynthia Erivo, she added like a few extra little runs and like so talented and amazing singer but I was like that's not the song that's not the most important part of the whole musical who's directing this John M. Chu the guy who did um Crazy Rich Asians that is a very like versatile filmography because that film was so opulent and like looked beautiful so I get it from that perspective oh my god he also did Step Up and Now You See Me Too I've not seen any of the Now You See Me's. I feel like you watched those recently. You told me about them. Yes. They are like literally in their own genre of film. Like they're so good. Nothing else matches them. Anyway, that's another wreck. Go watch Now You See Me. Um, well, very keen for Wicked. My only abiding memory of Wicked is watching the Ugly Betty episode when they go to Wicked. Betty and Henry, like her like love interest, get caught on the um, stage before they do one of the big songs. That's my only knowledge of um wicked other than defying gravity and popular so yeah everyone go watch ugly betty as well it's one of my favorite tv shows yeah moving on to some royal news um i feel like no one cares about royal news but i'm talking about it we should care about it because king charles has cancer and i keep saying prince charles and tom keeps being like that's king to you um (laughs) so i'm like sorry king charles has been diagnosed with cancer we are not sure what kind of cancer it is but he did go into hospital recently for a surgery on an enlarged um, prostate. That's not fun. No, that's not fun. And the news was announced for the cancer um, 
about the cancer from Buckingham Palace. He's staying in Sandringham. Um, the palace confirmed it was not prostate cancer. He says, um, as all those who have been affected by cancer will know, such kind thoughts are the greatest comfort and encouragement after many people were giving his well wishes. Uh, he says, equally heartening to hear how sharing my own diagnosis has promoted public understanding and um, helped promote public understanding and shine a light on the work all of those organisations do, which support cancer patients and their family across the UK and the wider world. He's um, stepped back from all public facing duties while he's being treated for the cancer and Camilla and uh, William have been taking on some of his duties. He, yeah, and Harry came back for a brief visit. I believe it was, according to the Daily Mail, 36 hours. Oh my God, put a timer on the poor bastard. Yeah, and so he came, they had a brief meeting and then he left. And William, I think this sort of, you know, comes into play now. The streamlined monarchy, Charles Charles was always very into a streamlined monarchy, keeping it very slim. But uh, among the working royals now, only William and Kate are under 50. And with Charles kind of out of the picture for a while, it's going to be up to them to pick up a lot of the slack. But Kate's been in hospital as well for this abdominal surgery she's out of the count um for a while so I think William and like Anne as she always does will be taking on a lot of (laughs) royal responsibilities well she does she's the most conscientious of all the royals and I think I wonder if like Lady Louise Windsor Prince Edward's daughter and stuff that she'll be taking on more potentially do you think it's telling that they made this public I think it's interesting I think it's a very interesting new way of dealing with reports like this I think it's smart, but I think they're probably, I reckon now that this has happened, it's the handover's starting. Yeah. The handover's starting to William. And I think that, I think that this public acknowledgement is the start of that because they would never have done that back in the day. They would never have done that for the queen. It would have been much more intensely private. Yeah. This poor guy waited like four centuries. I know. I feel so, I feel so bad. I mean, you know that I'm pro Charles, which is an unpopular opinion. I have a soft spot for him and I feel really bad that this has happened. Oh, undeniably. Okay. It's horrible. Would wish that upon not a single soul. But particularly horrible because he had waited so long to be king and he's now king and he's estranged from one of his sons. I don't think he's got a great relationship with William. He's married to the love of his life. We'll give him that. But he's now got cancer. His body's tapping out. So it's not not the greatest of circumstances. I, I feel very bad for the guy. But I hope that he's doing well. We send our wishes to <laughs> we send our wishes to uh King and Country. Keep on slaying. Speaking of yeah. the Royals though, mm. we have our first look at Scoop. My God. An upcoming Ugh. Netflix film about the Newsnight interview with Prince Andrew where he discussed all of the Jeffrey Epstein ties. This is my Roman Empire. I'm so excited for this. So excited. So Netflix is doing this film. Uh, Deadline first reported the news. Rufus Sewell is playing Prince Edward. Oh my God. Sorry, Prince Andrew. Jesus. <laughs> Rufus Sewell is playing Prince Andrew. And if you don't know Rufus Sewell, he was the baddie in A Knight's Tale. And he was also the Kate, in, Kate Winslet's dickhead boss in uh, The Holiday. He's great. Great. Great for a villain. He's a great villainous actor. Yeah, he's got the face for it. I don't think I've ever seen him play a good person. <laughs> he's great in A Knight's Tale. Fantastic fodder for um, Heath Ledger. Uh, I'm so excited for this. Me too. It also stars 
honorary Brit, Gillian Anderson. Yeah, she's Brit. Yeah, she's Brit American. She's, she's she's hybrid. She's hybrid depending on where she's based. Yeah. It's an adaptation of Sam McAllister's book, Scoops, behind the scenes of BBC's most shocking interview. And it will be directed by Philip Martin, who worked on The Crown. Love. So he's in amongst the royals. And Gillian Anderson was also in The Crown. All of it is sounding so good. Like, Gillian Anderson is playing Emily Maitlis. Keely Hawes, one of my icon queens, married to Matthew McFadden of Spooks fame, is playing Amanda Thirsk, Andrew's former private secretary. Billy Piper, icon also, is playing Sam McAllister. Connor Swindells, who's Adam from Sex Education, is playing the photographer who took the photo of Prince Andrew in Central Park with Epstein. And I love that that's a specific role. Like the, the guy who took the photo of the thing. And Charity Wakefield, who's great. She was fantastic in The Great, the TV show. Um, She's playing Princess Beatrice. He is unhinged. I remember the day I watched it. It was, I think it was just when I was still, I was producing and I went home and watched it and I sat in bed and I was like, this is like, I had my little cup of tea and I watched it and I was just, it was unhinged. And I remember Instagram storying like a lot of the funny moments. Fun, I mean, say funny, it's obviously very harrowing and horrible, but I, f- I looked up some of the stuff that he talks about in the episode, but the, the interviews was basically the thing that um, caused him to step back from his royal duties and basically be stripped of any importance in the in the family and he got stripped from some several honors that were bestowed upon him by the queen but he said he couldn't have never had sex with virginia jeffrey because he was at a pizza express in woking for a children's party with his daughter beatrice which i think is so gross making his daughter a part of his alibi and then there's like this iconic quote i think this is my favorite part of the interview where emily maitlis is like where andrew says do i regret the fact that he's obviously conducted himself in a manner quite unbecoming yes and then emily maitlis is like unbecoming he was a sex offender and then she's like and then he's like yeah sorry i'm being polite i mean in the sense that he was a sex offender it's like an episode of veep yeah yeah literally like or when he says he couldn't sweat because he um that was amazing that That was was incredible and then the internet was just awash with photos of sweaty prince andrew for weeks and then afterwards the next day yeah he's like i have a condition i can't sweat um because i had an overdose of adrenaline in the falklands war when i was shot at and you know it's just impossible for me to sweat and then the next day i remember the daily mail um had this headline it was like randy andy at the club and he looks quite sweaty <laughs> but in like unhinged like, i don't know why they thought it would be a good idea for him to do that you actually can't write that stuff no, that's why I'm like obsessed. It's going to be a show because watching it, you're like, it has to be. It can't have been real. Like, I find it so fascinating. It's like when you watch She Said, the Weinstein film. It's yeah. so fascinating that all that really happened and we were like living through it. In the very early promos, they are kind of pushing the female media side of things. They, mm. They've called it an insider account of the inner workings of the palace and the BBC, twin bastions of the British establishment with a focus on the female-led team that pursued this story of immensely powerful men. I feel like they're probably loving themselves that it's a female-led team. Like, they're just like, oh, queen, slay. But it's like, uh, these institutions are also very patriarchal. I think it's just a lucky dip for them that it happens to be, it happened to be women that were at the helm. I love Newsnight. Newsnight is a fantastic British institution. They did the, um, 
our first episode, the Russell Brand allegations, that was Newsnight. Is this the like Four Corners equivalent? It's Four Corners. Yeah, it's the Four Corners oh. of the UK, I think, which is a, actually a really good way to put it. I care quite little for the royals generally, but I love some scandal. And I, I also love anything to do with like media and empires. and. Oh, same. It's why I'm like glued drama. to anything that's Murdoch. But yeah, yeah, Scoop will be out later this year. We don't have a definite date yet. No, we don't have a definite date. Sometime in 2024. Very exciting, though. Netflix is on one at the moment. They are releasing some good shit. They really are. Like the talented Mr. Ripley thing, the new, the Bridgerton, first look at Bridgerton, which made me scream. They've got a lot going on at the moment. Even one day. Do you think that there's like a specific atmosphere to Netflix productions? Like there's just a feeling. I find them inconsistent okay I find a lot of streaming stuff inconsistent because I feel like they find what works sometimes and then they are off the mark and then on the mark with other things Mm. so I'm mad at Netflix because they cancelled one of my favorite shows but then they come out with one day and scoop and other things and I'm like god bless Netflix and then Bridgerton and things like that or I go on to Stan and Stan has a great selection and you know Prime and there's like a lot I feel like the Netflix rom-coms there's a look for sure but other Netflix productions, I don't think necessarily. What do you think? Maybe it's just like, because what spurred the thought was comparing the one day film to the one day TV show. And I think the TV show just feels very modern television. It's this was created in 2023, 2024. Even though it's like in the 80s and stuff. Yeah. And I mean, they did well, like with the soundtrack to like match it up to the era but there was just like a feeling in the tv show that it was like this couldn't look like this if it was made five years ago maybe that's like the only example maybe it's not a specific like netflix thing i'm intrigued to watch one day to see how i feel about it see if there's the the feel yeah but anyway yeah but moving on a lot's going on in the fashion world speaking of media stuff yeah big huge giant week for british folk they published their final cover under editor-in-chief Edward Edenfall. Love him. Love him. As a refresher, it was revealed last June that he would be stepping aside as editor-in-chief after six years on the job and 20-something years at Vogue. Yeah. He's still within Vogue, but he's moving to a new role as editorial advisor of British Vogue and global creative and cultural advisor of Vogue. He's still in the family. He's still in the family. It was a bit contentious. There were rumours about a feud between himself and Anna Wintour. There was a report in the Sunday Times that speculated there was a bit of a power struggle. Fascinating. Fascinating stuff. So that's Edward Enenfall. We love him. And his final cover is out and it features 40 extremely famous women in one photo. It's basically 40 of the most booked and busy women in the world. I'm actually going to read them all out. I feel like there's they're all top billing. Like, there's no way you can be like, that was just one. No, you can't miss anyone out. Like, you can't. So, it included Adwoa Aboa, Simone Ashley, Victoria Beckham, Selma Blair, Naomi Campbell, Vittoria Soretti, Gemma Chan, Jodie Comer, Laverne Cox, Cindy Crawford, Miley Cyrus, Ariana DeBose, Cara Delevingne, Jordan Dunn, Paloma El Cesar, Karen Elson, Cynthia Erivo, Linda Evangelista, Jane Fonda, Kaya Gerber, Gigi Hadid, Salma Hayek, Iman, Maya Jama, Jamila Jamil, Carly Kloss, Precious Lee, Jua Lipa, Gugu Mbata Raw, Kate Moss, Lila Moss, Rina Sawayama, Irina Sheikh, Anya Taylor-Joy, Christy Tellington, Amber Valletta, Serena Williams, Oprah, and Anokiai. I mean... What... A goddamn lineup. That is insane. That is crazy. Apparently, Nicole Kidman was also supposed to be included, but 
because of the strike last year, it pushed back filming. So oh, she's been on set instead. Bugger. So when I like saw that list and I saw the photo, I was immediately like, oh, they were all shot in different locations and they just put them all together. No, they were all in the one room. It's kind of like a school photo. It, it was a school photo. It reminded me of graduation or like, yeah, every time you get your year photo done, it was insane. They were all in the one room in New York and they got them all there. And my abiding thought was, holy shit, pull one out for the assistants and travel agents and managers and publicists and everyone who had to deal with that. Imagine getting all of those women free on the one day. I know. And I know it carries a lot of weight when you say, hey, it's Edward Edenfall's last cover and he wants you there. You make yourself free. And I think they... Jesus. Yeah. And they all had a lot of reverence for Edward and a lot of respect and love because these are people he's worked with for some of them 30 years. Of course, they were going to try and make themselves free. But oh my God, as a publicist, I mean, I'm not like a seasoned publicist, but I was like doing a schedule today and I was like, fuck doing that 39 more times for one day. The call sheets, killer. I was at a wedding on the weekend and we were talking about how hard it is to get this many adult friends together for any reason. Oh my God. And someone said, well, if Vogue could get everyone in one room, we can get together. I should say that that to my friends because group chats can sometimes be impossible. Use that. Read out that full list to your friends and say, sorry. Guys, if all the girls can can get together, we can go for dinner. (laughs) In saying that, like visually looking at the cover, I don't know where to look. No, I keep I kept getting distracted. It feels a bit like Where's Wally, where I'm like, yeah, wait, wait, wait. I agree. What am I doing? I loved it. I thought it was I think it's inspired. I've I love Edward Enough. I have a real soft spot for him. And he's gonna be succeeded by Tremonati, who I also we both have a huge soft spot for. She's gonna be the first black woman to lead uh, British Vogue and she's gonna be the head of editorial content. I'm like, can we just call her editor in chief? I hate that they've done that title change. Yeah, it's just semantics. I don't like it. Here's a thought that I had and tell yeah. me what you think about, you think about this because thinking about the assistants and stuff, I was immediately like, oh, it's like Devil Wears Prada. But then it reminded me of, you know, in the Devil Wears Prada, the bit where they're trying to like do the coup where the woman wants to, the French French runway wants to take over US runway, da, 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 da. And then uh, Miranda Priestley's like, this is the list, the list of all creatives, models, actors and actresses, designers who will follow me when I leave runway. Do you think that this is Edward Enifel's version of like the list? This is like his final battle saying, oh yeah, I'm just putting on this really cool cover. But the insinuation is this is my family. Yeah. Like all these people, will what come, about you? all these people will come for me. And do you really think that yeah. this is going to continue after I leave British Vogue? He's beloved in a way that many other editors and like editors in chief aren't. Mm. He's had such a human element and he's added that element to Vogue in a way that nobody else has. I think it's pretty clear from this cover that he's got his tribe. Yeah, I think Anna understands that and respects him, but I don't doubt the power struggle. Because do you, you've seen the September issue, right? Yeah. Obviously. But I rewatched it like the bit from the September issue before we started. And there's this bit. So the September issue is this fantastic documentary on Stan. Follows the Vogue team and Anna Wintour pulling together the September issue of the 2007 September issue. It's Sienna Miller on the front cover. Quite average, uh, I thought. But <laughs> that particular shot, it's a, there's a great spread, but the, the shot they use is mid. Edward Enifel at that time is a contributing editor, uh, not so far up the chain in his career. And Anna kills one of his photo shoots. She kills the photo blocking, no, the color blocking shoot. Basically, she's just like, she sits at her desk and she's like, this is gloomy, Edward. This is not like, this is Vogue, Edward. Like, what are you doing? Uh, we have to lift it. And he gets really upset and he like goes out and vents to Grace Coddington. Uh, <laughs> and then she's like, 
And he literally is like, I want to kill myself. And I'm like, Edward Enderfield just has bad days like the rest of us. Like, oh, yeah. He gets shot down at work. Too. Yeah. He's like, I want to kill myself. I hate this. And then Grace is like, what do you mean? What do you mean she's killed the shoot? And then she's like, what about this, this thing and this and that? And then he's like, no, she said no to that. She said no to this. And then she says to him, she's like, you have to be tougher. You have to demand. Otherwise, you're going to be blamed. Like, you have to really work. And and it was really interesting watching that back with the context that he's now editor and you know leaving outgoing editor in chief with this alleged power struggle really made me think about it after yeah rewatching that scene. And it's not hidden the way that he wants to push folk forward no. in a way that is so non traditional for what it is. Like that's not a secret. So. It, like speculation would have it that they're going it's too much it's too fast it's too too i think that choma will keep choma will keep going in that way but because she's worked in the new york office she's more new york even though she's british and you know what i mean it's like a different sensibility but no the the values are there she's one of anna's camp going into vogue yeah now the cover was accompanied by his final letter as editor-in-chief And he discussed the concept of leaving a legacy and diversity as a dirty word, I guess. And why he saw his purpose in that role as like broadening the perspectives and the way they ran the magazine and what they pushed. He finished with, as for my own next steps, well, you know me by now. It's worthwhile, important even, to reflect sometimes. But as ever in life, my eyes already on the future. I've loved my time here and I'm proud that some important work has been done, but I'm always excited for what's next. So it was very overwhelmingly positive and just like a Oh, I bet. Farewell. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think that he's got nothing but love and obviously it's like a huge experience for him as someone who started yeah. as a stylist like X amount of years ago. But he's also, he's still within the Vogue family. He's still got impact. And I feel like when you know it's time to move on, when you think you've done all you can creatively, you know, he's done so much to push it forward, but you know, he can't, you can't move mountains. He's done what he can do. Time to move on. And he has left a legacy. Yeah. I read a great piece in The Guardian written by Nels Abbey a few days ago called Take a Bow, Edward Enenfall, Your Vogue Changed the Face of Fashion. Literally. And there's, it's a good read if you have time, but there's a great passage where he writes... Today, Enenful stands tall as the undisputed master in the art, craft and business of fashion media. The diversity of thought, personnel and tone from the top that he brought to the table helped him elevate British Vogue during a period of crisis for print media, mm. all while maintaining the core essence and readership of the publication. His grasp of the genre meant he was able to subvert it, to flip it on its head and take it to places it had not been before, while creating opportunities for people who would previously have been outsiders to the industry. And I think that just like summarizes it all. Oh, 100%. That's how people feel about it. He's Edmund like Enderfall. a maverick. Yeah. A maverick. Done. Yeah. One word. <laughs> he really changed everything, I think. And I think you're right. Like within the crisis of print media, he was like shining a light on how things could be done differently. What did you think though that Megan wasn't on the cover? Oh, I see people talking. Where was Megan? Where were the Kardashians? Not that, I mean, yeah, but it makes sense for Megan because she was in his like force for change makers cover i want to know if she was asked to be there i think it was a good decision to not do it i reckon she would have said no for sure yeah i think um survival instinct would say don't do it yeah looking back on all of edward's you know amazing work what have been some of your favorite covers or if you have one favorite cover 
or shoot or whatever. I think more recently, the Linda Evangelista cover Amazing. and profile that he styled when she like came back into the oh public eye. Oh my God, eye. all the Fendi. Amazing. Amazing. That was one of the most beautiful shoots I think I've ever seen. What about you? I loved, I loved the Linda one. That was, yeah, her return in Fendi. I thought it was amazing. I loved the first cover he did with Adjua Boa. I thought that was amazing. I loved the COVID covers that they did with the frontline workers and some of the like British landscapes. Um, and I loved the February 22 cover with the nine African models on the front cover. Um, I thought that was beautiful and so striking. Another, there's more, been, there's been so much going on this week. With one of our other favorite people, Gabriella Karifa Johnson. Yeah, big week for Vogue. Gabriella Karifa Johnson, we've spoken about her before. She was in contributing editor at large for American Vogue and the first black woman to style a Vogue cover. She was also in the news last year for speaking against Kanye West's White Lives Matter t-shirts at one of his Yeezy shows. Yeah, which wasn't, it feels like it's been like 19 years, but that commentary led. Oh, oh, it's 2024. <laughs> I didn't. That's last year. Until March, it's last year. But that led to Ye mocking her and literally like sending the dogs after her on Instagram. Like he posted a photo of her and just captioned it like, not a fashion, this is not a fashion person and came for her credentials and stuff. So it was just, it was very yay. Recently, she has been very justifiably outspoken about Israel's war, which caused a Condé Nast rep to reiterate that such views were her own. There was a lot of contention around how outspoken she was on social media. Very blatant about it. She wasn't sugarcoating anything. Yeah, she was just blunt. She was saying, here's the facts. She was telling it like it is. That was a bit of a controversy. After this, people noticed that she took her editor title out of her Instagram bio, which is a big deal for anyone who works in that vein of media. I think I was looking at her stuff the other day and I saw her bio that it had changed. I realized that something was going on because there was some Condé Nast issue where one of their writer's employees spoke about something that they shouldn't have yes it was um it was sir it was sergey klotnoy it was the megan the stallion Nicki minaj thing how yes. Nicki minaj was being an asshole to there was like a feud between megan the stallion and Nicki minaj and Ser- sergey klotnoy who's like the head of something uh but he got in the shit for it i remember that and the cut did that thing you're right yeah yeah and she commented on the instagram and that's when I was like, yeah. oh, we, are we going against our employer? And then I went, oh. I saw that too and I was like, slay queen. But I was also yeah, like, oh, fuck, because they're both Condé employees. But since then, Vanessa Friedman has written a piece for New York Times called Some Fall Out of Vogue, She Walked. I love Vanessa Friedman. Amazing. But in this piece, Gabriella told her, I resigned as kind of a material action of solidarity and because it was just time for me to move on. Everything I said was attached to the institutions I worked for. Not only was that not fair, it was also distracting. And Anna Wintour also went on the record to say that the decision to leave Vogue was entirely Gabriella's. I reckon that it, I reckon it would have been though. Like oh, I absolutely. think I don't I doubt she was like encouraged to go. I think she probably would have been wearing it a bit to go. 
chomping at the bit to go so she saw how much of a kind of public image and opportunity there was to work outside of the Condé Nast broth yeah and I think she's got the connections like she's because she says as well she's like she would go on these shoots with celebrities and famous models and she'd just treat them like normal people and they'd become friends and now she's friends with people like the Hadids and you know so many people um so she's kind of got that again it's like the list she's got the list names of her collaborators throughout the creative industry who her she, reputation precedes her yeah and I think and she does say in the piece that you know it's it's nerve-wracking to not have the backing of you know Vogue and it's her first fashion week without you know the armament of Vogue and she's like I feel like I'm gonna get like row seven seat 45 you know and I'm like I, I think you'll be okay there's a paragraph that Vanessa wrote which I think kind of summarizes it really well she says she has effectively become a test case for what it means to be a voice of fashion in a part in a post magazine world a world where the power that was once concentrated in the hands of a few glossy publications is increasingly lodged in the feeds of charismatic individuals where fashion itself has become part of pop culture and where personal values are increasingly infiltrating the professional sphere I am so glad you read that out because that was my favorite paragraph of the whole piece yes for me it just sparked kind of an internal conversation about how there's so much more distinction between professional and personal now but Mm. also those two things are more public than ever before 1000 so like before you had your personal life and it was like it was very private and that was yours and it might be like a water bubble discussion on monday but that's it whereas now we've got social media and the lines of blood it's different now you can speak to an audience and you can have a public image and yeah There's a lot of crossover in media where you are writing under someone else's values, but you are also your own person and you can also talk about your own stuff. Yeah. I think it's difficult when you feel hemmed in like she clearly did. Especially when companies like Condé Nast and Mastheads like Vogue, they can't possibly evolve with every tick of the cultural clock. No. But they do need to find a balance in have because they benefit when their writers and editors have views and audiences and convictions of their own totally like that's in the best interest of their business and that brings them a portion of their readership and that's why the strike was such a big thing because it's like people read these magazines for these people it's not just about all the pretty pictures anymore it's like you know, we go to Vogue to read the people that we want to read or we go to the cut to read the people we want to read or Vanity Fair or whatever, and it's the same thing. Yeah, the the bylines matter. So really interesting development there. Excited to see kind of where she finds her footing now. But she's also writing a book called Not a Fashion Person, referencing that Kanye post. So we will come back to that and review it. I love her, and she wore the most amazing Prada top in the New York Times spread. Um, and I really want it, but it's four grand. <laughs> so upsetting. It's like the beautiful pink collared top. It's amazing. I loved the spread that she did with Devin Aoki in Tokyo last year for the September 2023 issue. I thought it was amazing. That was, it was amazing. I love Devin Aoki so much. And there's one photo that I always think it's Madonna, but it's actually Devin, which is a really random person to think it is. But it's this photo where she really looks like Madonna anyway. But it's really cool. Devin was like this huge supermodel in the late 90s, early 2000s. And she's photographed with her daughter in Tokyo. It's really, really cool. I loved the Barbie spread that she did with Margot. I loved the Florence Pugh cover with the fish. Yeah. When she was like in the kitchen. I thought that was really cool. She did a great um, spread 
in vogue that was like mid-century staples, which is a lot of cool corsets and stuff. And um, she did a really cool shoot in 2021 where they uh, shot at the Vogue office, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, amazing. Just amazing work. Fresh, beautiful. Understands that, you know, it's important to have original content. A woman of talent, but also personality. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. And yeah, not afraid to like call bullshit. Yeah. You know, um, which we, which I think is fantastic and rare. Yeah. Um, But that's all for this week. Um, I'm tucking out with topics. We've covered a lot tonight. And if anything else happens in the next 24 hours before we post, sorry, sorry about it. (laughs) But we hope you have a lovely week. Thank you for joining us. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your enemies. And yeah, we're on TikTok or on Instagram at That's All Podcast. Um, but just keep coming back for the ride. And this is our 20th episode. Can you believe it? 20 weeks. That's solid. That's nearly six months. Thanks for hanging with us. We love you. Send us your Rex as well. Sometimes I yeah. just need someone to say, hey, watch this. Yeah, send us uh, send us Rex. Send us thoughts, all of the things. And um, we'll see you next week. That's all. <laughs> I feel like we're like fading so fast. Bye. Yeah, bye. <laughs>